Well, I don't know if you all like to cook very much, um, but I don't mind it. I don't do it a lot. Um, but I think about the times I would make something out of a box, right? And there's instructions you have to follow if you want it to turn out well. Um, well, you know how it goes, right? You glance at the instructions, and then you're like, oh, I got this. Throw the box away, right? And then, well, what happens? A few minutes later, you realize, I forgot the instructions. So I have to go back and keep looking at the instructions, saying, I've got it, right? And then putting it back in the trash again and again. I think sometimes that's how I and how we um, as believers treat the Bible, right? We glance at it and then see the instructions, we read it, and then we just put it away, right? We don't look at it again. Um, And then we try to start serving God and then realize that we have no idea what to do. And so we have to go back to where we had kind of put it to the side, look at it, um, see what the Bible says, and put it away again. And then, lo and behold, a different topic comes up, and we don't know what to do in that situation, and so we have to go back to where we discarded it and look at it again and then see what to do. Um, but what if we decided to keep the Bible open instead, right? We just keep it open there and so that we can reference it whenever we need it. Or what if we decide to study it and so no matter what comes up, we have a basis and an idea of what to do in the situation. If I spent every day studying the instructions about pizza rolls, I would know how to make pizza rolls, right? So I think we can do that same thing with the Bible, in a way. So here's our outline for this morning. Um, We see that uh, Paul's example is what we see first of persecution, and we have there's going to be persecution for the godly. Um, Talk about the foundation and standing strong on the Bible, and then the power of the Bible. That's kind of what we're going to end with. So before this, Paul has outlined on how to stand strong for Christ to this younger believer, Timothy. It's a letter written to Timothy. And Timothy is likely leading a church in Ephesus at this point, um, but this was many years after being with Paul. Like, well, he's been with Paul for many, many years doing ministry alongside Paul. Um, he's writing, Paul is writing this letter from prison during his second imprisonment in Rome. And from all that we can tell from historians, this is the most dungeon-like prison they had in Rome. There was a hole in the ceiling they'd lower food through and lower water through. It just was not a great place to be. So as we hit chapter 3, verse 10 here, Paul's in this letter, and he's describing, or he just got finished describing these false teachers pretty in-depth. He used a description of them. Um, one of the, the key words in that description was the Greek word diabolos, which is like from diabolical, which means slandering. They just talk bad about people for no reason. And so now we're going to see Paul moving to the opposite of that, right? We move on from having a foundation on yourself, like those false teachers, to having a foundation on the Bible. So here's what it says, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, and such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord rescued me. So here the word followed, right? It says that you followed my teaching. It could mean a couple different things. One way it could be interpreted is that Timothy kept up what was happening, right? You keep up with a news story. You follow a news story. He kept up with what was going on. He saw all that occurred in Paul's life. Another way to interpret it is that Timothy obeyed, right? Followed as an obeyed the teachings, conduct, purposes, faith, etc. He followed Paul's example, so to speak. Uh, I think you've got to have both. Right? I've heard this said before. Um, the Christian life shouldn't just be taught. It should be caught, right? You can know all you want about Paul's teachings and how he lived. But if you're not living it out, well, then what, what good was the knowing of it, right? And so you've got to see the power in his life and follow that example, 
And so let's look at Paul's list, right? He has a kind of a big list that Timothy both knew and followed that he's going through. So the first one is teaching. Paul had been with Timothy for many years. Um, This was written to Timothy almost 20 years after Timothy first met Paul. And while Timothy couldn't go back and listen to, you know, Paul's YouTube channel or his his archives of of lessons, he had heard enough of Paul's teaching uh, enough times to know them by heart, right? He could know these teachings. You followed them, you know what they are, and actually he's passing them on. And then we have his conduct, right? Paul lived out what he taught. He wasn't just teaching it, he was also living it out as well. It's contrasting with these false teachers, right, who were saying one thing and not living out, who were being hypocritical. And so it contrasts both him and Timothy from those slanderers. He goes on and says the purpose, right? Paul's purpose in life was to run the race in a way that he might win. And this is in, earlier in the, or later in the letter. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So both Paul and Timothy had a purpose in their life that was centered on the future, not the here and now. Right? How they lived in the here and now was dictated by their future hope of, of being pleasing, hearing well done, good and faithful servant to, to, um, to them from God. And we know that this reward, that this, this uh, crown of righteousness comes from Christ to those who love his appearing, who's looking forward to his appearing. We know that's not based on faith, on eternal life salvation. It's based on this reward that we're going to get. Faith is the next one, right? Faith is Paul had unwavering faith that, one, God would provide, but also he proclaimed that faith in Christ gave you eternal life. He boldly proclaimed that. And that's how we have eternal life. Next, we see patience, right? Paul was very patient in his ministry. He wasn't too hasty. It's really easy to get frustrated with someone and just move on. But he wasn't too hasty. He didn't move on from pouring out his life for others. He faithfully poured into the faithful and dealt with the difficult with gentleness. So he was patient in his ministry. Next, we see this word love which is the word in the Greek agape. It means God's unconditional love that he has for us. Paul based his life on loving others and not expecting something in return, but loving them no matter what. Unconditional. Next, we see perseverance. This also is the word steadfast. So he stood strong. No matter what trials he faced, he persevered. And we're going to look as we go later on how he was able to do that. And then we see persecutions and sufferings, right? Paul was persecuted a ton, right? He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was run off. There were plans to kill him. Um, and he suffered and, and went through all of those persecutions. And out of all of those, it says God rescued Paul. Sometimes God rescues us from death, and sometimes God rescues us through death. Either way, nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. At the end of Romans 8, it talks about how Neither life nor death nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ. And so Timothy not only knew about this whole list, um, but he followed them. Timothy was faithful to follow the teaching, the lifestyle, and the response to persecution. I think that's kind of how this list talks about his teaching and the way he lived it out and then how he endured these persecutions with patience, love, and perseverance and faith. There's actually a time in Philippians that Paul writes about Timothy to other people, and it's not like behind someone's back, but it's actually a good thing, what we see here. It's in Philippians 2, and um, Paul wants to be there, but he can't. 
And so he says there's no one else who would have genuine concern for the Philippians' welfare. He says Timothy's the only one who has really genuine concern. He says that Timothy has served alongside Paul like a child serving a father. So the Apostle Paul had no one else who cared for the Philippians like Timothy did. So Paul was an example to Timothy, and then Timothy followed the example. And then Timothy went on to be an example to others. Right? And this is the goal of Christian discipleship, is that there's faithful believers who are pouring into faithful believers who are pouring, and it just keeps on going. People who imitate Christ to be examples to others. So Paul encourages Timothy to look to this example of the Lord's work through him. Right? Out of all these things, the Lord rescued Paul. Paul didn't rescue himself. The Lord did. And so it's not just the example of Paul, but how God delivered Paul in these circumstances of the, of the persecutions and sufferings part. So Paul had solid theology. He lived out his faith, and God delivered him in all his sufferings. And don't worry. If you have your foundation on the Bible and desire to live out your faith, you'll have sufferings too. So... It says in verse 12, right? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It sounds like one of the most unfortunate of God's promises in Scripture, right? Um, all who desire to live godly lives will end up being persecuted. I want us to notice something here, though. Does this say that all who live godly lives will be persecuted? No, it says, all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. So we have to ask ourselves, right, what do we desire? Do we desire to live for God and make an impact on others around us and impact them closer to Christ? Do we desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do we truly not care? This is a heart issue, right? What do we desire? What are we looking at? What's our focus in our life? We know this persecution comes because the world, the flesh, and the devil are against us. Our three enemies in the Christian life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is increasingly against what the Bible holds to. The reason those who live out godly lives are persecuted is because the world is against us. These evil men, it says in verse 13, these evil men and imposters are going to keep getting worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so as that continues to get worse, those who stand on the word are going to stick out more and more. And so this, these words, evil men, right? This actually, the Greek word has a root in it for pain. Those who inflict pain is what the evil men talk about. These imposters, these are false teachers. They're deceiving others. They say they teach the truth, but they are deceiving others, and they're being deceived themselves. So the world is going to continue to get worse and worse. We're seeing that around us, which means those who stand for what is good will begin to stand out more and more. It won't be normal to stand for the truth since everyone's being deceived. And we're going to look at how we stand strong in this world as we go through this. If we desire to be godly, right? If we desire to live a godly life for Christ, we have to be against the lies of the world. We have to be set apart from false teaching. We have to be passionate for the truth, right? Desiring the truth. It's all going to point back to the Bible, all point back to God's Word. The way we have our desires lined up with God and to have the ability to serve others in the way we desire to is by being in the Word, is by being in the Bible. It's the only way for us to stand strong. So we see in 2 Timothy 3, 14, you, however... <clears throat> 
continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So he says, contrasting from the world getting worse and worse, these evil men and these imposters, you, however, continue in these things. Paul tells Timothy to continue in the things he's learned and become convinced of. Um, things he's learned and been taught. You know, you can think about what you've learned and you grow up and you've learned things in school, learned things from your parents, all these things, but what does it mean to continue in those things that you've learned? I think it means when you've learned, you act it out, right? If I learn that a cactus is really sharp, how do I continue in that knowledge? Don't touch a cactus, right? Um, There's always a time whenever kids figure out that fire doesn't just look pretty, it also hurts a lot, right? And once they come to that knowledge to continue in that, they don't touch fire anymore. And so he says, these things that you have learned and you've become convinced of, knowing from who learned them, continue in these things, right? So where did Timothy learn from? We know that in, um, earlier in this letter, he talks about, Paul talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother and how they were faithful believers. Timothy's also learned from Paul and he's learned from God, Paul says, remember whom you've learned them and go straight to these sacred writings. He's talking about the Old Testament writings, right? The sacred writings of the Old Testament. Timothy has had a foundation of God's word since childhood. His family had been faithful believers, at least since he was younger. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we turning to our foundations? He says, continue in this foundation you have. Well, what's our foundation? Are we turning to them? Are we building them up? Or are we letting them sag and decay, kind of disregarding this foundation? There's an importance here in having the foundation and continuing on that foundation to stand strong. Also an importance of leading up children in the Word of God. Proverbs 22.6 says, um, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so this proverb is a general principle. When children are taught these good things at a young age, it will stick with them for their entire lives. So teaching them God's word, right? Timothy's learned these things um, from God from his young age. Just continue in them. Our church does an amazing job in the children's department of teaching these children God's word and hiding the word in their heart. Like we've talked about, we're going to have a children's highlight service at 11 today. And I always love seeing those kids quote Bible verse after Bible verse and just knowing their stuff. This command is to Timothy, right? Timothy is a leader in a church. It says, continue what you've learned. And it talks about this, this salvation that we have. You've known these sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is how we know that it's faith in Christ for eternal life because the Bible reveals it to us. God's word reveals it to us. We know that we have eternal life because he revealed it to us. We also know how we ought to live in the Christian life, right? How we live out that Christian life that we have, he's revealed it to us in his word. So what it means to continue in what you've learned is to follow through with what we've learned. If we know what's right, we should do it. If we know from the Bible what we've learned from the Bible, to continue in it means to act it out. If we want to stand strong, it takes living out the things that we know are true. It, if we want to do the right thing and we don't do it, if we know the right thing and we don't do it, James 4.17 says it's a sin to know to do something right and we don't do it. So if we know we should be reading our Bible and we choose not to, that's a sin. That's a sin I fall into. 
We don't need to make excuses of how busy we are, and I can't, I can't read the Bible. If it's a sin issue, we've got to figure out how to fix that sin issue. And it's important for us to be in the Bible. It is powerful, and there's a reason why we should be in the, in the Word. It's powerful. And that's what Paul continues with. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he says all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, are inspired by God. Um, you might have in your Bibles God breathed, right? Breathed out by God. All Scripture is given to us by God. People will say nowadays that, well, you know, the Bible is just is written by man. There's so many mistakes. There's so many things and contradictions. But the more and more you study it for yourself, the more you see that it all fits together. It all talks about the same events that are planned for the world's history, the same plan for the world. All of it talks about that. It talks about the plan of faith in God for eternal life. And so it's good for us believers, too, because not only does it talk about salvation, but it says that he's actually talked about things that are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Let's go through this kind of this little list here he has, right? He has teaching. We go through the Bible. We've been going through this morning. We normally go through the Bible verse by verse. So we get all of it included, right? Because all of it, all Scripture is good for teaching, right? All of it's good to be taught and understood, and then we have reproof, right? When we're living in sin, to reprove means to, to, to kind of approach someone about it, right? We can point others to the Bible to help them understand their sin and lead them to depart from that sin. Pointing them back to the Bible for that. We need to prove someone who's living in sin. Correction, right? When people are saying things that are false or when they're confused about God, we correct them by pointing them to the Bible, Right? Maybe they're trying to serve God. They don't know how. They're doing things incorrectly. We point them to the word. Remember, all the scriptures profitable for this. So we have teaching. We have reproof. We have correction. So um, training in righteousness. Right? We move from reproving sin to then correcting them and now training them up. Right? Training them up. This means that we're looking at the Bible as our guide to life, as our, our training handbook, so to speak. We reference it so that when situations pop up, we're able to respond in a godly way because we've been in the Bible studying God's Word, and we know what we should do in these situations. What we see here, this, this, this great list of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, what we see is that it's all for a purpose. There's a purpose behind it. It goes on and says, so that the person of God, right, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Person of God, this is the word anthropos in the Greek which is the word for human, like anthropology, right? The study of mankind, study for human. There's another word in the Greek, the Greek word aner, which means just man, like a male. This is talking about anthropos, so that the person of God may be adequate or complete, equipped for every good work. What does that mean, right? That means that we want to live a godly life. We want to make a difference eternally. We want to impact the world around us closer to God. Then we have to be consistently in the Bible, that's the power of God that we have to live this out, to be adequate, equipped for every good work. The only way for us to be trained in righteousness and equipped to live the Christian life well is by being in the Bible. We can't treat it like the recipe on the back of a package. We keep tossing it away, only getting to it whenever we're in crisis mode, only getting to it whenever the mac and cheese is bubbling over the pot. Right? 
If we want to be mature and ready to live for God, we need to already be in the Bible. It has the power to change our lives. It gives us the foundation to stand strong in a world that is worsening and worsening, getting worse and worse around us. So what time are we given to the Bible every day? Is it even being given each day? Is it each week, each month? Well, the truth is, we can't change how much we've been given to the Bible, but we can change how much we're going to give to the Bible, how much time we're going to give to the Bible, how much we will read it. Will we continue to have it sit discarded until the next time we're in a crisis? Or will we continually be trained up in it so that we can do what God calls us to do as soon as he calls us? Are we as believers training ourselves up so that we can adequately serve in ministry God has given us? Or are we disregarding the scripture and trying to serve inadequately? And if the Bible's not a major part in our lives when we're serving, then we are inadequate for the service God has for us. That's the opposite of adequate, right? It's inadequate. And if the scripture is what's profitable for all these things and it makes us adequate, if we're not in the scripture, we're inadequate for that service. So make sure that we're in the Bible and serving, doing both of those things, right? We're not equipped to handle what he wants us to do if we're not in the Bible, not being trained up. And this training type of notice doesn't come mainly from podcasts or mainly from listening to pastors or primarily from biblically-based small groups. The training primarily comes from the inspired word of God, right? That's where it's going to come from. That's where this training to live the Christian life comes from. So if we want to be equipped to serve God, we need to spend time in his word. Timothy actually is living in a world at this point when this is written where um, Rome is against Christians. They're against Christianity. There's an emperor that blamed Christians for the burning of Rome, Emperor Nero. And it's really bad to be your enemy of Rome if you're a Christian. And a lot of Timothy's fellow workers in Christ are just backing away from the ministry. They're saying, oh, I don't want to face any persecution. I'm just going to kind of be apathetic in their service. But Timothy's been following Paul's teachings, Paul's lifestyle, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. He's been standing strong, and, and Paul's saying, hey, continue to stand strong. Stand strong, but you can't just stand strong on your own pride, on your own self. You have to stand strong on the Word of God. That's how you're able to stand strong in this world that is against Christianity. Timothy has seen how the Lord has rescued Paul from all that he's gone through. And the truth is, all who want to live godly lives as Christians will be persecuted because the world's getting worse and worse as we speak. Right? The world keeps getting worse. We're going to be sticking out even more as standing for the truth. But God triumphs in every circumstance. No matter what situation we're in, we know that God triumphs. We will be with Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. So the way that we stand strong as believers then is by continuing in what we know from the Bible. What do we know? Well, then continue in that. It has the power, it is the power we have to live this Christian life out and live it adequately. Without it, we'll be living the Christian life inadequately. So here's some applications before we, before we get finished. First, let's follow the example of faithful believers. Timothy followed the example of Paul, right? And people followed the example of Timothy. See their triumphs in Christ, right? That Christ provided for them situations. They have joy, they have peace, they have love in situations that are hard. And be encouraged to be faithful as well. See these people who are faithful workers and follow the example of them. What do they do? How much time are they spending in the word? 
And then know that God delivers his children. Right? No matter what happens, we will be with Christ as we If we have placed our faith in Christ for eternal life, that's all it takes to have eternal life is to place our faith in him. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For the wages of sin, we go on campus and share the gospel a lot of times with college students, and um, you ask, like, what is a wage? It's a paycheck, right? And so we sin, and a wage is like, okay, you've sinned. Here's your paycheck, death, right? It's, it's something you earn, right? You've earned death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we place our faith in Christ, it's a free gift, right? He gives to us. So we need to place our faith in Christ no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, no matter how much time you spend in God's word, you can place your faith in Christ and you have eternal life that moment and it never goes away. Nothing can separate us from the love we have in Christ. God always delivers his children. We need to understand that. And then secondly, let's make time to prioritize God's word in both studying it and living it out. We just know what Paul did, that's good, but if we're not living it out, well, what was the point? Right. Make sure we're studying it and living out God's word. It keeps us um, from serving inadequately. And this is the only way we can stand strong in a degrading culture is by being in the word. It keeps us from serving inadequately. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God. It says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word is powerful and it allows us and equips us to serve God adequately. So hopefully we're a church full of people who desire to live for God and to serve him adequately by being in his word. That's the prayer.